Tough times continue for the South African economy. Inflation isn't cooling, keeping interest rates edging ever higher. The electricity crisis continues to hinder growth and job creation, and business and consumer confidence have declined to all-time lows. So what do all of these key economic indicators mean for the broader outlook for the country for the rest of 2023? I'm Jeremy Maggs. This is No Ordinary Wednesday. It's our in-depth look at what's driving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. In this edition, Investec Chief Economist Annabel Bishop will help us make some sense of the recent economic developments and how they will affect your business and your wallet. Annabelle, welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday, and we're just three months into the year, and our economic growth outlook is looking bleaker by the day. From your perspective, then, what are the main headwinds that we're facing? Yes, hi, Jeremy. I think you're quite right. You know, I found myself revising our economic growth forecasts twice already for this year, and it's only March. You know, we saw at the start of this year, really end of December, beginning of January, an expectation that we would see economic growth expand by 1.1%. And I'm sure you recall on the 22nd of January, then we were told by Eskim that we're going to have a permanent stage of load shedding for at least two years. And we ran the figures and, you know, running at about an average of stage four, stage five load shedding actually gave us an economic growth rate of 0.4 to 0.6%. So quite a drop, um, you know, more than half. And of course, at that point, (laughs) early in this year, we were seeing a slightly better outlook for the global economy. We settled at 0.7. Then subsequent to that, the headwinds, as you mentioned, we have had very severe load shedding. And of course, that really did damage the fourth quarter's growth outcome. Also, the first quarter as well, we saw a contraction in GDP in the fourth quarter, and we likely to see another one in the first quarter of this year as well, which basically then brings us to a recession. So domestically, we are obviously hamstrung by insufficient productive capacity. That also rolls over as well towards your rail capacity, obviously your ports as well, inhibiting the export, particularly of bulk commodities. And of course, in turn, that negatively afflicts our exchange rate. Our RAND has been very weak this year, but of course, globally, there are other factors which affect us as well. We have obviously seen the recent banking crisis that's come through in the United States. There's been systemic risk or contagion running through the banking sector. And of course, that has also affected uh, bank share prices. But let's not forget the source of it. And that was that we have seen substantially higher interest rates globally and domestically. But of course, now we're talking about the US banking sector, substantially higher interest rates over the course of last year and into this year. And that has damaged some marginal banks. Banks which perhaps were not performing um, very well anyway, or banks which had some um, issues inside. You know, for example, one of the banks had bought a lot of U.S. treasuries. And as we know, um, as interest rates rise, the value decreases. They were unhedged. And that, of course, then um, resulted in worries over its ability to fund its depositors, a depositor run. So without getting to the specifics of all of this, we are now in a very risk-averse period. So much so, Jeremy, that we've actually seen the United States not hike its interest rates Um, by the 50 basis points it was originally anticipated, instead only by 25 basis points last week because of this concern. Worries are now circling about an increased chance of US recession. As we know, weakening of the banking system in any country increases chance of recession. And of course, that again is a potential headwind. So I would say that there's a lot of investor um, concern, uh, negative sentiment. The 
United States economic data, which would give us some understanding of what the situation is, um, you know, how it's really translating into the real economy is unfortunately only a f- a several weeks away before it gets published. And this also creates uncertainty as well. Investors don't like uncertainty. Risk aversion is elevated. That really uh, weakens the RAND. And, you know, we do find ourselves, as we've outlined, with a number of headwinds. If we've got time, Annabelle, I want to return to this uh, so-called global banking crisis a little later in our conversation. But let's return to the core of all of this, and that's the energy crisis, as you rightly say. It's affecting growth, employment prospects, businesses. You've spoken already about the the knock-on effect. From an economic lens, then, how concerned should the market be or is the market right now, particularly as winter is fast approaching and you've seen the dire blackout warnings that have been issued? I think everyone is very, very concerned. The reason why we have load shedding is demand is obviously out of equilibrium with supply. They need to cut back on demand to rebalance the grid so it doesn't collapse. And of course, you know, when we do go into the winter months, that then is exacerbated by the cold weather. Everyone wanting to have hot meals, you know, warm themselves, have a hot bath. So it's a very unpleasant situation, but also a dire situation for the economy. We were talking earlier about the one revision I did at the start of the year, end of January, beginning of February, because of the severe load shedding. Unfortunately, now with the new economic data that's come out, our forecast now for the year is 0.2%. We factored in this unpleasant um, mid-year environment that we're going to have with likely higher stages of load shedding. You know, we were talking about Eskom protecting the grid by pushing through um, load shedding to take the demand off. And of course, what they have done now is they've, they've actually planned for higher levels of load shedding. So that means that if demand continues to escalate and supply continues to falter, uh, it could drop further then obviously they have got the ability to protect the grid by going into even higher stages of load shedding. Now, that's an extremely terrible situation for an economy. You know, that's why we have a forecast of essentially economic activity stalling this year, coming out close to zero at 0.2%. And that really means that we're just not going to have enough electricity to meet demand for economic growth. It's going to have a negative feed-through effect onto employment. We're going to see likely higher unemployment. And of course, as well, that also has negative consequences for our ability to export, negative consequences for our domestic currency. And interestingly, um, Jeremy, the latest set of inflation figures, which actually came out a bit higher than markets were expecting. Markets were expecting a moderation of inflation this year. Uh, CPI inflation rose to 7% from 6.8% for the month of February. And also core inflation rose to 5.2% from 4.9%. So against the downward trend anticipated for inflation this year, that was very heavily due to the RAND's weakness and um, and also load shedding. So for food producers in South Africa, remember food is the biggest component of CPI inflation. For food producers in South Africa, there's a lot of wastage, there's higher costs, self-generation, but also of course as well for households, let's also forget that it affects them. But what we've also seen is the weakness in the RAND because we haven't hiked interest rates by as much as the United States. So we've seen an erosion in the differential between South Africa and US interest rates. And also we also have seen quite a low um, real interest rate. If you just were to take the repo rate and the inflation rate, that's close to zero. These are also providing some negativity to the RAND, some weakness to the domestic currency. A third of the fuel price increases we've had this year have been due to RAND weakness. And interestingly as well, the latest set of inflation figures which showed food price inflation well over 10% 
percent. That's at odds with global food price inflation. International food price inflation is actually falling year on year and month on month. And typically there is a relationship between the two. But the RAND is weakened by so much now that it's negatively affecting these two components of CPI, both dollar-based. Global uh, fuel prices are dollar-based, you know, oil and petroleum products. And international food prices also dollar-based. If the RAND weakens hugely against the dollar, which it has, it's, it's, it's dropped to 1850 from closer to 1450 a year ago, that has also had big inflationary effects for South Africa. Let's continue talking about inflation then. You mentioned uh, higher fuel prices, uh, the worry of food price inflation. Is there any way in which we can curb it? I think, um, you know, I would say that the Reserve Bank has been slow to keep pace with the hikes in the United States from an interest rate perspective. So the US has hiked by four and three quarters of a percent in terms of its current interest rate cycle in South Africa by three and three quarters of a percent. We're one percent behind, but still out of kilter, mainly because of the um, difference in timing of the rate meeting. So the US moves every six weeks, South Africa every two months. But South Africa could have hiked by more. I think that what we really found is that the risk premium has now been eroded for South Africa. You know, you obviously have seen interest rates go up more quickly. They're now higher than they were, yes, but they've also gone up more quickly in the US than in South Africa. And that has meant that the investor return has been squeezed. The carry trade is negative for South Africa. It's the most negative on the Bloomberg basket of uh, EM currencies that is assessed there. And the, the bottom line essentially is that we're in a situation where we have a strong underpin of RAND weakness, which translates directly each month into um, fuel prices. The fuel prices are changed on the first Wednesday of the month. If you have a significant RAND weakness, that pushes up the petrol price quite often if there isn't a counterbalancing very severe drop in petroleum prices internationally. For South Africa, from a food price perspective, we're, we're a price taker. So our food prices are heavily export orientated and South Africa prices both on import and export parity pricing. So we, we are influenced by US dollar prices and international commodity prices we know are dollar based. If we see a substantial rand weakness against the dollar, then obviously we also see higher food prices here. But let's not forget the impact of load shedding for, on farmers. You know, they obviously have um, higher costs from a refrigeration point of view, but also, of course, as well, irrigation points of view. We've obviously also come from a high cost environment where um, inputs have gone up, such as biochemicals, fertilizers for um, agricultural products. You know, we obviously have seen still the legacy effects of the Russian-Ukraine war. So it's a multidimensional factor, which is really impacting South Africa's inflation. But um, those are the two key drivers, food and fuel prices. We think CPI inflation will average 5.3% for the year this year and drop down to 4.6% for 2024. <laughs> you might say to me, well, then if inflation is going to average 4.6% uh, or 4.5% next year, you know, the Reserve Bank will be within its inflation target range and perhaps it doesn't need to hike anymore. And I think, you know, that's really the point. Central banks around the world are battling with the effects of high interest rates and not being able to tame inflation but also of course for South Africa with inflation likely to fall within target next year anyway of around 4.5%. That probably will also give some impetus to the Saab to likely cease hiking its interest rates for the rest of this year after we go through its May meeting. Annabelle, a little earlier you mentioned the path to recession. We also know that the International Monetary Fund has sounded warnings about the risk of the stagnating South Africa economy if urgent action is not taken. How do we digest that and what is the urgent action? Well, the urgent action is very much around electricity, first of all. You know, we've seen the inability to get car power ships come into South Africa and obviously provide electricity to our grid. Those are large um 
gas-fired ships which can um, produce a significant amount of megawatts, put them onto our grid, uh, feed them through into our system. You know, we were told in January we were short of 6,500 megawatts. And of course, that is something which is a great risk for us, that what we have got nothing at the moment in the short or medium term to replace it with. The car power ships were blocked from coming through last year because of regulatory issues, environmental concerns. The same is now happening in the first quarter of this year. We have a new electricity minister. He's going on a surveillance tour. Um, There doesn't seem to be any immediate crisis thinking from government. You know, we've got a national state of disaster. We've had those many times before in South Africa. We obviously have got, um, you know, more layering of leadership. For us in South Africa, it's very, very simple. If we don't have sufficient electricity to meet our requirements, if we actually see the supply falling because many of the power stations in South Africa are aged, they're well past their retirement date. Um, If you look at South Africa's electricity system, it's 80 to 90% coal fired, that in turn, that 80 to 90% coal fired means that we're relying on these um, fossil fuel producing power stations, which, as I said, are scheduled to retire or, or are past their retirement date, which are breaking down. These are all, you know, huge issues and concerns. I note with some worry that we've heard from government that, that um, you know, the previous ESCO management hasn't run the electricity system hard enough. I don't think you can run it harder than it has. It's probably been run too hard. That's actually the problem. There hasn't been sufficient repairs and maintenance. I think maybe one way for us to understand this is to look at a motor vehicle that perhaps has not been serviced. It's a very old car, hasn't had the parts replaced, or it's had parts from a different make of a motor vehicle put in. And that obviously causes it to break down and not be able to produce the energy as required. So so these are the factors that we are actually finding ourselves in South Africa, giving rise to the worries about recession domestically. And I'd say that the risk of a, a recession in South Africa is probably greater than one of than one globally at the moment. Annabelle Bishop, I want to look at un- Employment. I want to look at interest rates again with you and also consumer confidence. But very quickly on the economic outlook side, what other global factors should we be watching out for? Uh, for instance, the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. I think that's a very important point. Uh, you know, I worry because there's been a lot of reports in the news media about the escalation in nuclear threats coming from um, Russia. The I wouldn't maybe say intensification of the Russian-Ukraine war, but obviously it would be if, if, if nuclear started to be used. I think that also provides a negative overlay from a geopolitical perspective. But from an economic perspective, you know, we've seen um, fragmentation of global trade. Another way to term it would be deglobalization. Why this is important, and I think we all you know, often forget this, we had a high inflation environment before um, that was difficult to tame. We saw Faulkner trying to tame high inflation before and having a very difficult experience driving the U.S. economy into a recession. Uh, the risk really is that um, trying to push down high inflation rates when you don't have other factors that support low inflation makes the situation very difficult. So really what I'm driving at here is over the 2000s and 2010s, we had increased globalization, which pushed down inflation around the world and made achieving low inflation targets quite easy. Now with deglobalization, we are actually seeing higher inflation come through naturally. What does that mean? It means disruption to supply chains. It means you're not getting goods from the cheapest place that you could with the most cost-efficient transport situation. Deglobalization is coming through from the economic um, fragmentation, yes, from uh, geopolitical blocks forming 
having China and Russia siding with each other. We're seeing other um, countries like North Korea, etc., wanting to join those blocks um, against a Western bloc. These are all very worrying. The IMF talks about this as well. The risks that this has to economic growth, but we would certainly add the risks that this has to inflation. One of the reasons why we are not seeing inflation come down as easily as it has in the last couple of decades when the central banks did apply higher interest rates in order to tame it. Now we're actually finding a situation where inflation is proving very sticky. What that means, what economists mean by that is that it doesn't come down quickly and easily. Sometimes it can actually rise a bit in the process. The US is going to find a long, difficult path to get its inflation rate down to 2%. And globally, this is now really a feature for advanced economies. You might say, why do some countries have higher inflation rates than the other? Why are inflation rates closer to 10% in the US? Why in South Africa is it closer to 7%? And that also talks to the commodity exporting ability um, of countries, but also the ability to produce the goods that they need themselves. South Africa is largely food sufficient. We produce um, a lot of the commodities that we need. Countries like um, Australia, you know, New Zealand, they'll have lower inflation rates in the US and the United States because they also produce a lot of the commodities that they needed. Countries like the US and the UK have high inflation rates because they obviously are finding themselves in a situation where they have to import a lot and the global supply chain is still pushing through high costs at the commodity prices as well. So, you know, that's why the UK has an inflation rate of close to 10%. We are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I would like to remind you that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Please don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us. Annabel, the MPC has hiked interest rates. How much longer do you think this can go on for? I think this may well be it, Jeremy. <laughs> I think that we've probably seen the um, United States reach the end of its interest rate hike cycle. Look, the um, Fed funds futures have been factoring in, you know, partially a further um, rate hike in the US in May, and perhaps South Africa may follow there as well if um, the US does hike by 25 basis points, um, you know, at its following meeting, then South Africa would likely do the same. But I think we're starting to see the end of interest rate hike cycles. You know, the, the, the concerns certainly is that there's a perceived elevated risk of global recession because of the US banking crisis, because of worries perhaps of banking system and systemic risk. But returning to South Africa, there's also a high chance of recession because of our very low electricity production. And that might actually see the South African Reserve Bank decide to pull back and maybe even adopt a wait and see approach. But really, it doesn't need to if it looks at its inflation targeting mandate to hike further either from an inflation perspective, because it needs to get inflation within target in a 6 to 24 month period, particularly in a 12 to 18 month period. Now, if we look 12 to 18 months out in the South African Reserve Bank, forecasts of its inflation figures, inflation is within target. It is actually at 4.5% in the Reserve Bank's forecast. And so that means that it doesn't actually need to change, doesn't need to do anything else. So, you know, the good news may be that this could be the last interest rate hike for this year or at most the second last. You alluded a little earlier, Annabel, to the South African RAND. It remains volatile. Uh, why is this the case and what kind of impact are you expecting going forward? I think the RAND will always be volatile. 
want to tell Jeremy, I think we can actually delude ourselves that it's going to be anything else. You know, it's, it's an emerging market currency and emerging market currencies are highly sensitive to risk sentiment in global financial markets. Global financial markets go through periods of being risk averse. They can be risk taking. They can be more neutral. Essentially, what that really means is financial market players have a look and see, you know, what really is occurring um, and likely to occur more importantly going forwards. How will that affect their investments? And if they feel that, for example, there could be some negative event coming through, let, let, let's recall last year's um, April, a year ago almost, where we saw after Easter that financial markets took a negative sentiment turn and we actually found ourselves in a situation where we experienced um, a substantial and prolonged uh, period of risk aversion, a sell-off of risk assets, whether those are equities, whether those are emerging market portfolio assets, emerging market currencies, really from April through into this year on the concern that substantially higher interest rates would weaken economic growth and, of course, then the return of these assets. So that obviously was what transpired, substantially higher interest rates over the course of last year and in order to tame inflation and into this year, you know, with the Federal Reserve Bank still hiking, increasing worries over the global economy. You know, in the last quarter of 2022, there was strong concern that we could see a recession in the global economy this year. Now, while that um, dialed down somewhat in the first, uh, early in the first quarter of this year, the banking crisis recently has now raised concern that, that, that there is uh, perhaps an increased risk of that. So you can see the volatility coming through right there. And because of that, in turn, you get high volatility in investors, you know, buying and selling emerging market um, equities and bonds, and in turn, obviously, gives this volatility to the RAND. And obviously, all of this volatility has an ongoing impact on consumer confidence. You know, I think for the consumers in South Africa, they've they've been hit by higher interest rates and um, higher inflation, you know, really reducing their spending ability, their spending power, but also more worryingly for them, the lack of government's ability to resolve the electricity prices. And here, let's just, you know, make mention of the fact that government owns Eskom, runs Eskom and controls Eskom. And of course, as well, the IRP 219, the Integrated Resource Plan for South Africa, which is South Africa's energy a blueprint, which heavily focused on the need for a new energy and private sector investment in the electricity sector was blocked from 2019 uh, largely, which did not actually allow us to see substantial investment. And in fact, if, if that renewable energy investment had gone ahead um, from 2019, you know, through to where we are now, we wouldn't be sitting with a six and a half thousand megawatt deficit on the electricity grid. And of course, severe load shedding. Consumers are not stupid. They're aware of the fact that load shedding reduces their earning potential. It reduces um, employment prospects. It weakens the economy. And that's what we saw in the latest consumer confidence figures. A very sharp fall as consumers worry about the future. They worry about their earnings, but particularly they worry about the economy. They worry about the economic outlook. And in turn, this obviously has a negative impact on consumer spending. Consumers don't believe this is the right time to buy durable goods. Remember, those are your big ticket spend items that in turn feeds through and has a negative effect on retailers, on manufacturers. So really, the severe load shedding environment that we're in has a very detrimental effect across the board for South Africa. I just want to wrap up with two quick items. Um, The first was the anomaly of the latest stats essay figures which show a slight reduction of unemployment in the fourth quarter of last year. What was behind that? I don't think we need to make much out of it. You know, it's really just the seasonal employment we get over the Christmas period. More waiters being employed in hotels, restaurants, hospitality goes up quite substantially. People go away. South Africa had a very good tourism sector uh, outcome in the fourth quarter of last year. 
a big, strong recovery from um, COVID lockdowns. And, you know, that, 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 that does filter through into the employment figures by and large. And we started our conversation with reference to this, Silicon Valley Bank, Credit Suisse. Do we have a global banking crisis on our hands? I think, you know, if you actually read, there's many different um, perspectives on this. But, you know, one thing I found quite interesting, if you look at the Institute of International Finance, which is a large organization, which almost is an umbrella research agency and, you know, has a lot of members all over the financial services system, not just banks, uh, commercial banks, but central banks as well, you know, hedge funds, um, people in the different financial services industry, asset managers included. The point really is that they analyze the U.S. banking system and they do say that, you know, we find that banker credit in the U.S. is quite a lot lower in terms of where people access their lending from than other countries. There are other sources for uh, households and businesses to access lending from. So that might have a, a more muted effect than typically would be expected. Because the worry is that one of the contagion effects of a U.S. banking crisis, that banks in general start to tighten lending, they become, you know, more risk averse. They don't want to lend as much as they previously would. That's really the big kicker why people are worrying about recession in the U.S. That you know, banks dial back their appetite for lending out to businesses, to households, and that in turn obviously negatively impacts um, economic activity. But on the other hand, while you know the, the banking sector is not the necessarily the only source of lending in the United States, there is also something which which is concerning that if you slow down the supply of credit um, quite suddenly, that in itself anyway does tend to have a negative impact on consumers. And of course, that then does raise the risk. So there's that economic perspective. You know, we've already seen some contagion effects come through. We've seen um, central banks step in. I think maybe one criticism we might make overall is that you know, uh, central banks need to step in really quickly. Perhaps they didn't step in as quickly as they needed to. A Silicon Valley bank to change sentiment to stop the run on um, depositors. Th- that's a real risk because if you do then, as the US has done, guarantee the deposits of all these banks and they continue to lend quite substantially, th- there's a term called zombie banks where you have banks that are perhaps poor businesses, they are um, lending and they are being propped up by central banks. You know, that then becomes a worry for financial market stability as well. The bottom line is all of this culminates in increasing risk. All of it culminates in increasing risk sentiment as well. So it looks like we're actually at a bit of a pause with the banking crisis at the moment. We know it's fed through into Europe. We've obviously seen the carnage coming through from a credit Swiss perspective. I think the, the, the concern certainly has been that while you know we've seen quick resolutions to stop up these problems, and of course we would anticipate that we would see um, increased liquidity pumped into markets to reduce the um, sentiment risk to reduce the concerns around depositor runs. I don't think the sentiment has really turned fully away from that yet. So quite a lot of factors I mentioned. You know, I'm not overly pessimistic. I don't necessarily think at this point we're going to see a banking crisis run through the whole of this year into next year, you know, prove incredibly damaging to global economies. I think central banks will deepen their assistance and try and obviously prevent um, as much fallout as they possibly can. But it's just one more factor that adds to negativity and their Therefore, obviously, adds to negativity to the RAND, which would have actually strengthened, I think, by quite a bit more after the recent FOMC meeting where they dialed back their hawkishness and only hiked by 25 basis points instead of, you know, what markets markets were expecting a few weeks earlier, 50 basis points. We would have seen, you know, more positive reaction in emerging market currencies if we obviously hadn't had this new risk uh, concern around, you know, the, the banking crisis. And I think that's where we are going to leave it. Annabel Bishop, Chief Economist at Investec, thank you for joining me on this edition of No Ordinary Wednesday. Please join us again in a fortnight as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. 
A quick note, if you haven't added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.